Hi, Maggie. So Hello, Anna. this is my guest, Margaret Ross, and I actually have been friends with her since a shocking second grade. We were in Brownies and Girl Scouts together. She was like a year older than me. And um, so she's been living in, is it Naxos? Naxos? Naxos Island. Naxos Island, Greece for the last decade? And some years on that. Really? So over yeah. a decade. Wow. 2000, 2009 is that when I made the Exodus. Okay. So did you say Exodo? Exodus. Exodus. Yeah. Okay, cool. Ex- okay. Sorry. Cause that's the three Greek, Greek word. Exodo? Okay, cool. Cool. So that was my first question. How long have you lived in Greece? So you said 19, when? 2009. 2009. When I, when I moved here permanently. Wow. So I'm going to say like almost 15 years. It's getting up there. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm not counting. So what do you like the most and the least about living? Well, first of all, let's start with what you like them. I could only have 11 questions, so I had to combine this into two. So what do you like the most and the least about Greece? The most, I suppose, um, for me, the the wild nature and just the awe-inspiring beauty of this place is, is a lot. And I also like uh, sort of, my whole idea was to think about living a more simple life. Um, the village scene, the village style, you know, not having to look at billboards and strip malls and things like this was was kind of uh, refreshing for me. Um, but as time goes on, things are never always, you know, to keep it simple. It's very difficult to so before you tell me what you don't like so I'm hearing what you're saying and I think um so this is my first interview for those of you that are watching and it's built on an 11 question format 11 questions um changing um your life with 11 answers but I do have to stop you because I I want to know a little bit more I know in Miami there's this uh, nature area where they're requesting to post billboards and a lot of people were really upset about it. And when I drive out West and I pass through certain areas like Nevada, for example, it's just filled with billboard after billboard after billboard. These are absolute eyesores. And to be honest, I mean, in my opinion, nobody, what they're advertising are, that's not like a food or a restaurant. They're advertising like things that you wouldn't think would be on a billboard. Uh, for immediate use or that couldn't be put on a street sign, right? And then I know you were talking about the the untouched, it's what I would call untouched beauty in Canada, for example, when you go up there, it's just such raw virgin beauty, nature. So is that kind of what you're talking about when you're alluding to the nature in Greece? Yes. And, and more simplified, you know, more the village style you have a couple of restaurants you have a cafe the mini market the cafe everything's close together connected very neighborhood um and without all of this over humorism and you know for me i guess that was refreshing do you do you ever are you ever like, ah, oh, I need another cafe to go to, or I wish there was another restaurant market, whatever? 
I mean, no, it's like if if okay, so if I come I come back, okay, I miss I do miss, you know, Thai food and you know <laughs> more of a variety of diversity. Diversity of certain things. But it's for me, it's like I don't miss that until I like go and experience again. And it's like, oh wow, I really I really miss this. So I'm okay. I'm okay with that. It's it's not like a something that is is I'm thinking about every day. Oh, I must feel like I need some. <laughs> no, I don't. No, I don't feel like that at all. So on that note, uh, is it kind of like stepping back in time? Oh, in some respects, yeah. In some respects, but we have all the modern. It's not like I live on, you know, in Hobbiton. But you do walk um, on cobble roads, and yeah. you do. You do live in a four hundred year old house. Am I mistaken? Yeah, the, the house is that, yeah, probably that old. And there are ruins literally next door, but it's nice if I don't have other houses on top of me. Yeah, so oh. so Maggie lives <laughs> around ruins. Uh, it's it's really, really cool. She's walked me through it, and it's exciting. So what do you like the least besides not having Thai food? That's That is Chloe. And yes. Hi, Chloe. Um, my new kitchen. She just uh, collapsed all the dishes in the in the kitchen. Little cutie. So I guess that's that's one complaint. Like my my little tiny kitchen has just a shelf above the sink that holds the pots and pans. So there are no cabinets, and the the cat is going and knocking everything down. But uh, and we were the question was. Uh, what do you like least about Greece itself? Like the, um, you know, town environment, people culture. Okay. The least is the bureaucracy. The bureaucracy, the red tape. Yes. I hear exactly. that all the time. Right? It, it, I mean, it makes like the States and, and, and Germany, like a walk in the park. You have to, mm. to deal with facts. Germany. You spend a lot of time a lot of time that's one thing that holds me back a little bit from staying long term in like mexico or portugal especially has always drawn me even brazil and one of the things that hold me back is just i don't think it would be very difficult for me to deal with anything slower than the united states <laughs> oh now, every time i call the u.s embassy the red tape, no, but when I call the U.S. Embassy, it's like, okay, we'll send you this paper right away. Or, or you know, it's like, I get an answer right away, and it's like, oh, wow, that's kind of refreshing. No, really I, is, that, I, that is I couldn't do anything slower than that. Like, no. Uh, well, I mean, I, things, I could, but it would take some, you know? Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it for everyone. I mean, yeah. Okay. So that's the this least. This is what you have. Yeah. You have to get used to this slower pace. You just, yeah. You're in a different culture, you know? So um, what is the weather like? I know me and you have talked about this. I, it's kind of nerdy of me, but I really am a weather junkie. And I really started getting into weather whenever living in Indiana, which we're both from, for anyone who's watching that doesn't know. We both were born and raised in Indiana and the winters, people don't realize this, are sometimes colder than Alaska and the humidity is actually sometimes higher than Thailand. I have compared them live. I've documented this. And then 
when I went out West uh, for three years in California in the high desert, which is LA guys, the, the high desert is Los Angeles and the surrounding areas. Um, I just really noticed the weather change. It'd be like 90 during the day and it would be freezing at night by five o'clock, you know, by sundown, you had to have a warmth, right? There's no wearing sundresses at night, like in Florida. And that's also right. when I begin to get really dry skin, really dry eyes and climate, especially with uh, the Rockwell School of Holistic Medicine, which I'm the founder of. One of the things we teach are spa and weather therapies. And uh-huh. we talk about how number one, low iodine can cause dry eyes and dry skin, but our climate and our environment and our actually humidity play factors. So when I talk to people, I'm like, what is the weather like there? What is that Mm -hmm. experience? And Maggie has told me in the past that it's similar to California. So tell me a little bit about that. And kind of when you tell me about it, tell me about what kind of fruits and vegetables grow in that climate. Oh, yeah. Well, very similar to California for fruits and vegetables, olives, avocados, citrus. Uh, when you say citrus, let's talk about citrus. We're talking about tangerines, limes, lemons, oranges, and different. Yeah, everything uh, except for oranges, like blood oranges, regular oranges. Blood oranges, oranges, uh, four different types of oranges, uh, tangerines. Uh, limes don't do well because they're a summer fruit. So all oh. the winter citrus do really well because we have very wet, humid, cool winters but no freezing temperatures. So, so the, and then, the, the limes bloom in the winter when it's, um, no, the limes bloom in the summer, spring, you said. The, uh, they're, they're, they're ripening now. Now, now it's December. Now we're getting the first harvest of our oranges and tangerines. So I know in California, uh, when I was there, we had a uh, blood orange tree mm-hmm. and we would harvest in the winter, just, the whole table yeah. full of oranges on a little dwarf bush, orange, blood orange tree. And I literally have never had better oranges in my whole life. But you're saying that the limes, are they not at the same time because of the, something? The limes don't do well here because at they're all. summer citrus. Yes. They don't sell limes. We can't find limes. Oh. Nobody grows limes. <laughs> so they're very, they're very special. They have to be imported if we, if you want a lime. That is so funny. And people, yeah, I would think that if you have oranges or citrus of any kind, I would just think that lime would be in there. Because I know in Cali, it is actually, I feel like I've seen limes on trees before, but I'm like, when I'm questioning myself now, I'm like, were they all just uh, oranges, tangerines, and lime and lemons? Now you have me really questioning myself after three years there. Yeah, and Valencia I'm myself. So I would have to find out. That's really, really interesting. What drove me crazy is that nobody uses them. And I really feel that wherever you're growing, whatever is native, I feel like you should be using a lot of it, at least in season. So if avocados are growing everywhere, like when they're in season, I feel like you should be consuming those really on a daily basis. I feel the same way about lemons. And um, they keep for a long time when you grow them at home, they don't rot and go bad like the ones that we buy at the store and mold quickly. So Mm -hmm. I just feel like whatever's grown locally really well and hardy is what we really should be consuming a lot of. And you think of vitamin C, um, 
we really need that in really high sun areas because yeah. the sun, it can be really, even though it gives us vitamin D, the harsh climate of the desert can be, you know, depleting on our constitutions yeah. and it helps protect us from the sun, right. From the, you know, oxidation and all that kind of stuff. So, so you, so you have a lot of citrus and then figs, which is exciting. Yeah. Figs, grapes, winemaking, olive, most of the olive trees. And there's- Let me ask you about the figs though. So if I were growing, if I were living in an area that had figs, I'd be like making fig jam, fig jelly. I would be like bathing in figs. Yes? Yes, you will be bathing in figs if you come here. To me, I'm just like, heaven. they, They grow like, like a weed that there's figs growing in the cracks in the sidewalk with figs. They're, they're like this big, but there's like figs on them. How incredible. Party, yeah. Oh my gosh. I have something in my eye. Okay. So olives. Now let me just say something about olives. First of all, I'm obsessed, not just because of olive oil. I really find a lot of olive oils taste off um, or just too pungent, but I still love olive oil. I mean, it's a it's therapeutic agent. It's great for our foods, especially cold foods like salads. It's not something you want to be like frying your French fries in, but you can add it to meats that already have like water and juices in it. Um, I've heard some people say, oh, you don't add olive oil to any hot food at all. And I just don't agree with that level of, I think how you consider that fanaticism. Um, but again, you don't want to fry your French fries in it, people. <laughs> On that note, olive trees have my heart. I have... picture I have a stock art photo of a row of olive trees and they have to be one of the most beautiful trees in the world would you agree um they're amazing there there are some old groves here that are up to three thousand years old and they're Um, small for being so old they're like you want to respect them and treat them with reverence right they they turn into they have, they have, uh, the way they grow, it's like, I have, there's one that just looks like a hand that's like coming out and, and they're so sculptural. They look like they're like a piece of art. Exactly. They are, they're art. living art mm-hmm. and we should really, really respect them completely. And, um, so olives again, are they just growing out of your ears everywhere or is it only certain areas? Are they cheap? Are they easy to access there? Yeah, the whole island is pretty much every, every, almost every farm has olive trees. So there's, there's so many that there's some people that can't keep up and they can't even harvest them because they take, it's time consuming and laborious. So it takes about, you know, it takes a week to to harvest the olives, but. Have you ever got to participate in anything like that? Like an olive or olive harvest? Every, every year yeah for the last uh every year we harvest olives do the different About 10 olives. days out of mm-hmm. so it's a really common thing so everybody's kind of chipping in in the community it sounds like exactly, exactly. now do the different yeah. olive species trees look a little different can you tell by looking at a tree what kind of olive it's going to have it, most of the trees most of the trees are the same okay and just like citrus, you can you can change the DNA. You can graft them to grow if you want to grow kalamatas or bigger olives and eating olives. You can take any olive tree stock and then change it if you want to. So you would just change a portion of it, right? Because you can't rebuild the whole tree. So it's going to grow some old olives and some new? 
if you graft, you'll grow, you graft it, you put, you chop the top off and then you put the grafting in and then it grows oh, a new. I would yeah. never cut a tree unless it was a baby. Um, I know that they do a lot of cloning and stuff like that with uh, cannabis. So, okay. So olives are everywhere. So if I want to live on olives or you're telling me it's kind of, it's pretty affordable because over here they're sky high. Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose, of course, if you grow your own, I think it's worth it to work two weeks out of the year to work two weeks with all your family. I would love it. You have your oil for two years. I mean, you press your own olives and make your own olive oil. We pressed 120 liters just last year. And that's incredible. That's genius. So now let's talk about some other foods and fruits. Um, you so what else is there? I, are there pomegranates? Oh That's yes, now, now is the season for pomegranates. Yeah. I'm obsessed with them. Yeah, do you love them? I mean, are you like drinking pomegranate juice? Are they everywhere? Are they like? Yeah, I mean, uh, we have we planted about sixty trees. Bushes, shrubbery, yeah. So, so do you sell those at the market? Yeah, they sell them. They sell them to the cafes that that the juice bar in the, in the town. Nice, nice. So now, whatever do we don't consume as a family, we sell the excess to the local cafes. And do they keep a while? Do they keep a couple months? They do. They'll they'll keep if they they don't have any problems with the bugs or anything, then they can keep up until January, February. Now, did you say avocados too or no? Avocados, yeah. Okay. So is that like heaven? That's heaven. But, you know, there's issues with the avocados. You have to have the the A type and B type and then also the fruit drop. Okay. So we've been struggling with avocados a little bit because of the the flies and and sort of you know so they're not trouble free they're not trouble free and then that's where my philosophy of trying to make an actual solid ecosystem with which we're going to talk about okay that's on here um okay so before we get into that let's because if I skip one I might not I not I might not I might lose my spot. So let's talk about your profession as a side note. Now, for most people yeah. that are watching, I mean, when I think of Greece, I do think of statues. So it just so happens that when Maggie and I were growing up, there was a local sculptor. And if you've ever seen Edward Scissorhands, that's the only thing I can compare it to. Even though, honestly, I haven't watched like any of that stuff for 20 years or more. Oh my gosh. That's what it reminds me of. There was a man in our town who was a, a mad sculptor and he his entire yard would you say three acres or more full ten acres ten acres ten acres full of statues and Maggie got to apprentice with him apprentice with him and she was really you you got really serious about it and it's now your career you are a you're a sculptor yeah the first time I drove by there I was 17. And I was thinking the whole time I grew up in this town, there was nothing interesting or cultural or something. I don't know. I don't know. That place hit me like a boom. It something. is. A- I, I can't explain it, but 
Uh, People have never seen anything like it. I I still don't know of anything like it that exists to this day. Imagine 10 acres of just uh, sculptures, either huge on the ground or on pedestals, right? That's how we had them. Mm -hmm. Endless, endless art. Um, It's it's mind-blowing, really. So you got to apprentice with him. You said he was, you said he was a little crazy. Of course. I think he's an artist. (laughs) Artist. I think we go into this. That's a pre-qualification. You have to be a little bit somewhere off or something you, you put, I don't know. Yeah, something interesting there. So, so then you went to Greece. Um, You had kind of like a, not, I don't know what the word is for mid, but whatever you had a, a, a lot of stuff happened in your life and you just went there kind of on a sabbatical, right? And then you got into sculpting. Yeah, I had been thinking since 96, I had been thinking about coming to Greece for the first time. That's when I discovered the workshop in Pinos that I first came to. So from 96, it was in the back of my mind. I'm like, I'm, I'll go there someday to do this. And when you told me you wanted to go, do you remember what I was yeah. saying? No. I was like, go. You're meant to go. Okay. Yeah. I was like, you're going to meet someone there. And you did. And she, you had a couple of children. Yeah. And um, so now you sculpt and you have a studio and you do commission art and you do educational things, right? You know, what, you want to tell us a little bit about what you did at the Florida University and what you're doing, I believe, with Germany? Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. We're in Germany. Okay. So, so yeah, today was a... Today was a little bit of a headache, um, but I'm in communication with the University of Florida to do um, what they're calling the Sculpture Seminar. It's going to go live um, in end of March, March 26th, I think is the date. So what they've asked to do is um, for me to uh, do a video, a, a video, basically a video documentary. It's gonna be like 10 minutes or something. So what I'll need to do is I'll need to sculpt, I'll need to create a model um, and then a plaster pack and then the copy into marble using the original archaic techniques um, from ancient Greece, which they're still researching and, and discovering now. But it's a system that's been passed down from master to student for thousands of years and there's no literature on it so it's a really interesting project and to get into the technical details it's it's a three point it's called the three-point caliper system so it's a way of measuring a model into the marble and finding the depth so they were using these systems in ancient times and it's a new thing that that scholars are now discovering this so it's 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 fascinating for me. It's a lot for it's <laughs> every like day. My, <laughs> my love for humidity. Like we're like, ah, oh, shut up. And I'm like, what's the humidity there? No, no, I feel you. So let me ask you a couple of questions about that. I have heard, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm a, I love architecture and interior design. As you know, my father yes. was a painter and I grew up around contractors my whole life. In fact, I grew up painting and decorating too, and I remodeled two homes. So I'm obsessed with architecture. Mm-hmm. And I always have been, I, I, I remember, I remember being with, you know, 
um, my ex-husband and, you know, just family. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, look at that building, you know, and people like, oh my, they would roll their eyes, like, please, you know, but you either love it or you don't. So I have heard that with the ancient cathedrals that we don't really know how they were made. And I don't know if that's true or not. Do you know? Okay. So, uh, well, ancient Greece, um, because it is a it's massive architecture. Yeah. They were masters of architecture, but it's not like we think of Michelangelo as, you know, just carving into the stone and uh, creating from his brain. You know, they were a very structured system of measuring geometry, mathematics, all of this technical right. stuff they had down. So some and of we have lost a lot of that knowledge. Like we can't exactly. these cathedrals. We we don't know how to do yeah. it. We don't know how the pyramids were made. And like you're saying, exactly. the pyramids, yeah. They're unleashing, it's kind of like they're bringing back like this old technology, this, uh, like you said, this three point yeah. system of measuring. So that is really exciting. I think, I think it's important to, you know, something that's not discovered or is not known to, to be able to recreate that and to kind of also link how we think today and say, okay, this is how our ancient ancestors thought. Yeah. And we are that's how we connect with the path so let me ask you two questions about sculpture the first one is now the guy in indiana i mean you, you said that you said michelangelo just carving out of his his mind inspiration but i mean was he really doing that or are you saying that he actually followed a system or that he was just a special type of artist who did it from his mind i think for figurative work he was he was using he was extremely talented don't get me wrong <laughs> like the best of it in our history but from a teenager he was drawing and studying the human figure and form but of course he was also using models okay measure techniques oh i see okay yeah okay something okay. more abstract more abstract figurative work that is more free-flowing and stuff okay this is called direct carving and you just do go in with your brain or you draw you draw the outline of your form from a drawing first, and then you start to carve and then find the way as you go, which is more of a free a free way of doing it. And this is more a modern style. Okay. Um, so let me see here one second. Um, Sorry, sorry. It's it's saying that our meeting is going to end soon. And I actually didn't know that this would happen or I would have just. Um, I'm just going to upgrade it really quickly while we're on here. So are so you're saying that um, if it's like a body or something, then it's um, it's more measured. But if it's abstract, then it's. Um, then it's. it's you're, it's you're giving me a hard time. I don't know. Okay. Um, it says nine minutes. Okay. 
Well, we cannot wrap this up in nine minutes. And it's so complex on the back end. I'm just like, oh my God, where do I pay for this? Um, okay, so my 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 other question, I guess I could have asked this a second ago, is this might sound like really weird, but in St. Armand's, we have a lot of like, um, we have a lot of sculptures and I don't know if they're like kind of imitating um a certain part of like Greece or what it, it's called Saint Armand's but it, we have all of these sculptures and like one of them is like a woman in the middle and like two girls kissing her on the cheek and they're like all naked and barely clothed and I'm just curious like why everything is naked with Greek sculptures and just kind of like what your thoughts on that are like like mommy why are they naked and you're like uh <laughs> I don't know like can you can you answer that question <laughs> I suppose that, that they were very into, well, okay, the origin of the Olympics, right? So the appreciation of the modern, or of the um, human form and it and its purest potential as the pinnacle of beauty. Mm -hmm. Appreciating the body um, without shame, basically. Yeah. I mean, that, that was like highly respected and, and why not show the whole human form? Right. Okay. I never really thought of that. So that's nice to have that kind of explained. So if you were a parent, you know, how do you answer that uh, for your kids? Would you just tell them that or? Like, okay, the, if you, yeah, I mean, why not show that? I mean, it's uh, the, the, appreciation of the of the human figure and form in its fullest potential it's nothing that's, to that's what i always thought that that's about because they didn't do sculptures of you know you you see that sculptures of one body type you do so, right. they're only interesting it's only physically fit human you know that's their prime so there's something to think about in that sociologically so it's not coming from like pedophilia or perversion at all. I don't think so. No, no. It's mentality. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. That's cool. I mean, I just think that some people might wonder, you know, and since you're a sculptor and expert. So my, my last question though, is about the guy in Indiana. Was he doing freeform sculpture? Because it seemed like I don't remember a lot of bodies. He did human figures. He did a lot of human figures. He did Absolutely. a of dancing yeah. women. Hmm? He did do some like hard like okay, but not not uh, realistic. They're all they were all abstract, okay. abstract figurative pieces. That's what I thought too. They were beautiful yeah. abstracts too. Okay, um, so what do you love most about your profession? Oh yeah, it's uh, it's challenging. <laughs> is it relaxing? Uh, so two parts. The two parts is one is is the creation and to go through the creative process of of, of doing a piece of work that's from me or from from wherever, and the other part is to teach, is doing the workshops where people are coming, and I'm able to share the history and be in the garden and your passion. 
So Maggie, for those who are watching that don't know, Maggie actually hosts um, experiences through Airbnb. People visit Greece. How many visitors did you say that you guys get a year in that island? Oh, uh, there's probably half a million this year. Yeah, yeah. So, so you host live workshops where people come and visit you. They take a boat to get to your island. And mm -hmm. she lives on an island. Naxos in a little village and you host live workshops where you are out in a garden and you're teaching people about your passion and they leave with sculpting knowledge or for you know it's exciting so you so you really enjoy that it, it, it's a lot of fun it's it's almost not like work <laughs> so <laughs> but what do you like least about it um you know, this last year, it, it was it was more about because I enjoy and the popularity of this program became so much that I was actually struggling to find my balance again. So that's because it was like, OK, people are coming <laughs> and it's and it's it, it was it was very overwhelming. So um, at some point, I'm, I'm trying to dial back. I want to dial back. Yeah, I'm sorry. You were working so much that you were exhausted. Yeah, I was doing morning, three hours in the morning, three hours in the evening, but then all the preparation and setup time and all the in between things and emails and all this is it is all consuming. So, what I was saying before about having simple simplicity, it was getting out of control, which is great. I mean, great, it was great, success, right? But I, I want to dial back and find the balance of, of family, the kids, work, and of course, sustaining our lifestyle. So this is so, always. So where do you see yourself in one year? In one year? Well, this is also <laughs> like Johnny Depp when he's reading questions in one year. Hmm. <laughs> One year, I see, well, I'm thinking about two, six months at least. So so in one year, I hope to be have finished another summer season and not have to um, be able to work on my own personal things during the winter. Um, but we're going through a major transition. I'm moving to a new workshop. And yeah, so Maggie's just relocated to a new village. She used to be mm -hmm. north, um, east facing, and now she's south and west facing. And that's another nerdy thing about me. I'm really, direction is so important to me. You can call me obsessed. I know, right? But this is about the sunlight and exposure. And when you look at my human design, one of my main lines is about light to darkness and darkness to light. I mean, I, I, I had a nervous breakdown whenever I arrived in Florida to my place. I rented a place sight unseen on a small island in Florida, which sounds great, right? Because I'm at the best beach in the country, Lido Key and Siesta Key. But when I got here, there's no light in the building. And I literally like devastated for three days. I was like, oh my God, I'm in a big mistake, you know? And it still bugs me. So like Maggie's now on a Southwest facing island. She has a balcony and it's really, really neat because the homes, the old homes in Greek, they had separate rooms where you have to walk into a different space for each room, which, you know, instead of that open plan, like we have in America. Yeah. Interesting. It's interesting how the architecture is designed because it makes sense. Now the owner was like, okay, no, it's too cold during winter. But when I got here, really, 
because it's the outside courtyard and the walls around it, it's enclosed from the elements. So you're so pressing the wind a little bit. It, it holds the heat and the walls are this thick. Incredible. Are, yeah. So I just did a little bit of uh, uh, detail under the doors to add some weather stripping so that the air is not coming in. And it's like, it's it's been holding the heat amazing. Is it refreshing to be in a new village? It is. The, the, the people here are amazing. And of course, all the Every, every village says, oh, this is such a nice village and everyone's so nice. And I, I literally can't walk down. I go to the mini market and then we have a butcher shop um, and like two tavernas. So, and once you move in, you literally can't walk down the street to do one thing without talking for like 10 minutes to the neighbor. <laughs> I would just be like the the one listen the one phrase I would know in Greek is gotta go <laughs> sorry bye <laughs> meeting but no, I'm kind of kidding I think it's really sweet but I mean anyone who knows me knows you know my impatience problem gate five it's just that uh, but that's sweet I know that's what you're getting at so that's great so what does your diet generally consist of. If I came to dinner, you know, what would we be having on most nights or give me a couple of menus for two nights or something? Oh, okay. So I, I do a mix of, I like the traditional Greek style, but uh, really this time a lot of fruit right now for breakfast and, uh, and you know, with the kids, they're so picky. So uh, basically for me, Personally, if it was just me, it would be eggs and avocados <laughs> um, because that's also local. And then the, all the fruits, all the fresh fruits right now. So tell um, me what kind of fruit you guys have. I do. What's that? What kind of fruit would you have for breakfast or fruits? Oh, the, the uh, tangerines, oranges, and bananas, and apples, and uh, pomegranates. Okay, cool. So do you just make like a little fruit bowl or just pick an apple? Oh. Pomegranate yeah, I make a fruit bowl and then everybody snack on it. Do you have a milk with it or a grain or anything? No, not usually. What, no whipped cream? I don't, I don't usually, uh, I, don't, I usually don't eat a lot until like 11 a.m. So. No, no, that makes sense. Um, okay, and then your eggs, um, do you eat those for dinner or those for breakfast too? I know a lot of people eat eggs at dinner. Oh, for dinner? No, usually for like a brunch. And how do you like them? I like them over easy. So does that mean for me, I like the white done in the yellow soft. I cannot stand yeah. a runny white. I like between between the runny, this is very hard to get perfect, but between the running and the gel. When yeah. it gel. Yeah, but for, you have to have oh. the then though do you like the white all done yeah yeah the white all done. I cannot handle runny white no the runny white no no so but, for dinner though, like what are we having for dinner lentils uh, are we what oh uh, yesterday I made uh pork uh it's not pork chops but uh it's called brisol it's called brisolas here so no pensa did 
anyway, I made some rice. I got, I just picked up some rice that had some uh, porcini mushroom mix in it. So a little bit of, uh, a little bit of grilled meat and rice with porcini. That sounds good. Do the kids like that? Yeah. Good, good. Now, do you guys like drink dairy and milk and is it raw or pasteurized there or do you, are you dairy free? Uh, the kids, they drink, uh, I do get an organic uh, goat milk. Now, is that local or is that store-bought like from in a package that's been shipped? It's, it's store-bought, but it's a Greek brand. Cool, cool. You're um, just not buying any local raw milk is what you're saying. No. No. There's a lot of cows around here, but they they do have the Graviata cheese, Naxos. So we do have a cow population of local milk, but I don't know. I'm not... You're not. So do you cook with dairy much at all or no? Not so much. And if you do milk, are you tend to towards goat milk? You got milk and, and a little bit, a little tiny bit of butter. That's okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right, then that's very, very interesting. And what is your favorite Greek food? Like if you could have something every day, what is it? That's a good question. What is my favorite Greek food? Um, yes, Delmas. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, I, I love spanakopita. Spanakopita. The spinach pie. Right. Um, that's the only thing that I get from the from the bakery. Um, I do love the the uh, it's called Zaya flour, that or Zos flour. And it's an emmer wheat, and it's the original grain, uh, the ancient grain. And you can buy it here really cheaply, actually. And you make baked goods. I think it, no, it's the, the Diki Kokum. I think that's the Latin name for it, Diki Kokum. So are you eating pita and, um, like, do, do they have, like, baba ganu there and, um, what bulgur wheat, wheat bulgur, you know, do you have stuff like that? Is it kind of like a. I think they do have bulgur wheat. Yeah, I think that the, that's more of a Turkish thing. They don't yeah, use it a lot. Iberian Peninsula type and, food. And lentils. I do like lentils too. Yeah. So lot. do you have green lentils there yeah. or red lentils or both? When I say red, I mean orange, but they call them red. Oh, okay. No, it's mostly the dark ones. The yeah. green ones. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah. I love when you make them. A, brown. Yeah, when you make them in a water, and you know that milky stuff—that's the calcium. <clears throat> oh, okay. You no, know, they're full of calcium and um fiber. Okay, yeah. I, I do love lentils. What's the thing that you won't touch there, food-wise? Like, what's the thing you're like, ah, no? Is there any yucky foods? Are there? I any? don't know. Like, I'm not hot on stuff tomatoes with rice it gives me a bat or the uh cabbage uh lacanorizo it's the cabbage rice dish and if I eat that I have a blood sugar crash like an hour later mm, okay. so that, that's the main reason like I can't do rice and vegetables and I need, yeah I just so you rice and mushrooms. Did you think it's something to do with one being a white rice and one being a brown, uh, wild rice? Probably, yeah. With like a basmati, I I usually get basmati or the or the mixed 
grain rice or wild rice. It makes me wonder if what they're putting in those other dishes is white they, rice. They just use cheap, cheap, cheap white rice. I think maybe that's yeah. what it is. What's funny though is some people, believe it or not, that have ulcerative colitis or digestive gut health issues, believe it or not, you know, for me with the school and my own personal diet, I mean, I'll eat grains all day long, but I try to generally just avoid them for my overall health. But when people have ulcerative colitis or things like that, and they, you know, aren't prepared or aren't, you know, honestly educated about giving those things up, it's safer for them to eat white rice, which is really weird because it is that, that glucose spike. Why? Because the, the fiber and the brown rice can really aggravate their condition. Wasn't that mind blowing? Okay. So that's like sort of a kind of a something you want to yeah okay so here's the last question will you ever leave Greece or is it where you plan to live and die yeah I, yeah it's a hard <laughs> question I've, I've I've thought about this before if I if I, I if I wanted to leave here where would I go and well, I'm always nagging you to get over here with me and you're like no she's like no I like Greece she's like no no I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It depends. Like it's like, it would be a place that I don't know exists yet. That's what it would be. I hear you. So otherwise, yes, you will live and die there. Yeah. I can see. Yeah. I wonder if they allow green burial there. That's a good question. Green burial where you're not like in a big glorified bourgeoisie case that never biodegrades right it's weird our burial process yeah interesting um i think yeah i i don't i have no idea but most are bur burial and maybe they have cremation here i don't know would you get cremated or would you be buried or is I that would kids to decide I, I like those tree things that they put your, they plant a tree on top of you. That's a great idea. <clears throat> it's way better than what we've got going on over here. So I guess that brings us to the end of our interview. We have a couple more minutes. If you have any questions, you can ask me. And if not, we can wrap it up. Okay. So, uh, any questions I have for you? If you have any, it's not a touch on a bunch of things. Um, so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you pretty much know everything about me. I do, but for, <laughs> for everyone else, right? Um, Even watching, she really already knows everything. <laughs> the good, bad for, for you. For your work, for your, your work, what truly makes you grateful for to keep moving forward every day? Um, what keeps me moving forward with my work? Mm -hmm. I mean, number one, I mean, it's just, it's my work. It's what I do. Um, I, I really was frustrated over the last couple of years because it's like, once you create something and you have a vision, you still have to know... Um, you can even know everything technical and all of that stuff doesn't matter if your energetics are off. So once I got my energetics aligned, you know, I felt a lot more comfortable with my work, but I just think that, um, 
you know, I just, it's just something that I struggled with. So what keeps me going is just, I mean, number one, I mean, I eat, live and breathe health. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a health nerd, you know, there's just no getting around it. And it gives me a community of people that are just, you know, basically like me. And the good thing is, is I, I tend to attract a lot of highly ethical people. So there's not, there's no like rub there. It's not like I'm trying to reach and please everybody. It's just people that are in congruence with what I'm doing. Um, and I just like it that we can all kind of respect each other's differences because we have some people that are for and against certain things. And as long as we can peacefully agree to disagree, that's kind of the goal is just like true um, cohesion. I don't know what the word is. Instead of expecting everybody to think and be the same. Exactly. So, so whatever you put out there, whatever you put out there, you're going to attract the same sort of people in your life to continue and make the. I've, I've found the exact same thing. Amazing. Yeah. So, it's just some of trust for that. Yeah. Doing what we're doing and everything, all the right people will come and fall in line into the. Yeah, when we're grounded and centered and aligned here, right? Yeah. But if we're yeah. not, you know, we're insecure in our approach and we're unsure and we attract people that are insecure and unsure, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, like, oh, then we're just, we're we're basically in that, that zone, right? Isn't that what it's called? Like the zone or whatever. But what's yeah. really funny though, talking about business, I told you I just did two major coaching things and uh, that's what's helped be kind of the foundation of the school's business because you can teach people how to practice holistic medicine, but you can't neglect the business side of it, right? That's just a realistic aspect. And one of the things that I learned was um, nervous system regulation through breathing. My coach was just like, go look up Wim Hof. I think that's his name. I don't remember. Yeah, Wim Hof. I love him. I love him completely. I know. And I was thinking about you because you were trying to kind of send me in that direction a little bit. Um, but I wasn't having it back then, like a year ago. And I look at pictures of myself a year ago and I'm just literally like almost in shock. Like I, I don't recognize that person. Do you know what I mean? I recognize it. And I'm just like, wow. Um, and that's one of my other questions is like, what would you go back and tell, you know, your younger self? What would you tell your younger self? Yeah. So do you think we have communication with, I think we have communication with our future self. You do. Maybe. I mean, we, okay. Now we get into meta, metaphysics and time. And right. all this like if stuff. you go back and but tell I, your younger self something, what would you tell yourself? Okay, so this is gonna happen, girl. You want to avoid it, or you'd be like, yeah. okay. you can tell your younger self. Okay, so if it's a healing part, maybe you can talk to your younger self and tell your younger self what your experience has given you and what you've learned, and that everything's gonna be okay in the future. And then that could be part of a healing process for these things that we cling on to in our past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I'm asking you personally, what would you tell yourself? If you oh, could? what would I tell myself? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, I don't know either. Uh, it's a good question though. Right. It's something to think about. Yeah. Okay. If there's, 
Okay, I I would have to go deep into that and to think about it because, of course, we want to heal ourselves from what's happened in the past. I know I probably like if I had to give an answer on the spot, I would just be like, this is what it feels like when um you're red flagged or your intuition is talking to you. Like your intuition is going to tell you what to do throughout the day. It's just going to be this little voice that'll just give you suggestions. It's this other part of yourself that is wiser. And it will just tell you in advance, like, don't throw that away. You're going to need that later. You throw it away. Well, you needed it later. Oh, I didn't listen. Oh, well, that's a small scale, but it also happens on a large scale where things that really fucking matter. And we take the wrong path often over and over and over and over and over again. And our intuition is still there, you know, um, yeah. it's just learning how to tap into it. And I would say that, you know, whenever, excuse me, when you're in a dangerous situation. And when I say dangerous, I mean, you can be appearing safe, but say that someone toxic or dangerous or someone who is deceiving you or lying to you, you know, there's abuse, right? Your body will tell you before the facts appear because your mm -hmm. body, it's going to activate um, your, your nervous system regulation. And that's how you know, and you can re-regulate it right in that moment, but you pay attention instead of ignoring it, ignoring it, setting it aside, right? Defect, deny, you know, delay. And instead, I would just be like, listen to it the first time. It'll make your life so much easier. That's what I would have told myself. Okay. Become best friend with your intuition. Yeah. And they, these are things that are not, these are well, things that they're not, they're taught. not, they're not taught. and we have to figure them out on ourselves. Yeah. And this and is something that should be mandatory. Battle between what it, what is going on in inside ourselves? Like, okay, yeah, I listen to her. I don't listen. I don't listen. I do this. We make choices based on the mind. Um, We're on our minds all the time instead of making them intuitively, right? right? So that was a big thing that I learned this quarter was getting out of my head and really getting into my intuition. That's really an empowering thing. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, okay. Um, the tree looks lovely. And uh, were, you said both the kids were homesick today? Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope that they're better. They'll be better in a couple of days. Yeah. And make them some broth and something nourishing. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, let me before we go, I want to ask a quick question. I know lamb and goat. Do you did, is lamb and goat are they uh cultural meats there? Yeah. Um lamb more than goat, but there are some yeah. More of a Middle Eastern, right? Uh yeah, they just do lamb usually on on Easter. Okay. So everybody's not eating like ground lamb every day like ground hamburger. No. No, not really. Yeah. All right, love. I was just curious. <clears throat> All right. Good to see you. Thanks for the interview.